All right, I have an agreement with our sound guy, Jeff, in the back that when I feel like I'm going to hack like crazy, I'll tell him to mute my microphone and we'll <laughs> spare you that. I remember one day I was at a, a pastor's conference and um, the speaker, who was a well-known public speaker and pastor, um, got up there and, and he had a cough and uh, he had the option of two microphones. There was one on a stand right in front of him and, there was, and he had a headset on. And he insisted on keeping the headset as his primary source. And every three, four minutes or so, he would just start coughing violently. And it was on, and we're all sitting there like this. Just, it just blew us away. <laughs> like, I will never do that. That was a lesson for me. Um, very thankful to our worship team this morning. Um, the flowers are in honor of Lisa's father who passed away this past week. And um, I, I told her this morning, I said, I'm really sorry to hear about your dad. And she said, don't be sorry. He was ready. He knew exactly where he was going. And, and God's got him right now in his hands. And it is a beautiful thing. Um, these are some of the words that, that we just sang in one of the songs here. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever our God reigns. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. And I want you to hold on to that thought as we work through some stuff this morning. We're going to work on moving these words from just being lyrics to being action in our lives, to changing our lives. Last week we dealt with a very common phrase, one that we hear a lot these days. The phrase is, believe in yourself. We're taught and told this many, many times in the course of a week. It's the message of movies, TV shows, commercials, and media of all kinds. We worked through some self-talk last week that focused on how to believe in ourselves. Um, go to our website and, and listen to it or download it if you stayed home in the midst of the winter storm last Sunday. Um, the rest of my family did. I did not want them driving in that. That was a rough morning. That phrase, and many like it, reveals something central to our culture. And this is not news to any of us, but it is central there are core aspects of our culture that we need to at least address if we're going to carry out the vision that God gave us of moving this generation from culture to kingdom. In this move, we have to develop a bit of discontent with where things are at in our culture. And this morning is an example of that. The issue of believing in ourselves leads us to an underlying condition. And this condition is our deep-rooted obsession with self. Self is an issue. Our language is riddled with self terms. You can easily recall many of them. Here are a few. Self-worth, self-care, self-help, selfie, self-image, self-promotion, self-centeredness, selfish, Self-made, self-realization, self-absorbed, self-acceptance, self-assured, self-confidence, self-conscious, self-deception, self-determination, self-directed, self-discovery, self-exaltation, self-expression, self-flattery, self-fulfilling, self-gratification, self-harm, self-importance, self-indulgence, self-interest, self-life, self-love, self-preservation, self-reliance, self-seeking, self-sufficient, self-talk, and there is a list out there. And this is not even close to being most of that list. 
There are so many of these phrases that we use, and I could go on for a long time about where self has found its way into our language. It shouldn't really come as a surprise then that we as a culture and as a people naturally and readily put self at the center of our existence. This morning I want to leave an image in your head um, as you go. And so Jude, go ahead and bring that thing up here. Um, I'm going to leave the image of a target in your head. This is what we're going to do this morning. And I'll give all you hunters a a moment to get over the fact that you didn't bring your gun and you wish you had. Um, That would not make for a really, well, it'd be a memorable service, wouldn't it? (laughs) Um, This this will probably find its way into our backyard eventually. Um, and, And, you know, there's... As parents, you're like super cautious, and we took our time going, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna introduce our kids to guns really early. We'll let that come later in their life. We'll get them, you know, an airsoft or a BB gun, something like that. And then grandpa goes and buys them BB guns, and, and away we go. And and so here we are now. All right. From the very beginning, our enemy has attempted to lure us into putting ourselves at the center of our existence. That started with Eve and then Adam, and we live in the wake of them giving in to this temptation. God was removed from the center, and self took his place. Now before we self-condemn, It would benefit us to acknowledge what was so enticing about putting self at the center and why this is still such a strong temptation and such a real life battle for us. For example, if I'm at the center of my existence, one of the benefits that I experience is not having to worry about whether or not somebody else is going to take care of me. I'll do it myself. I become self-sufficient because, arrogantly or not, I believe that I am most qualified to meet my needs. No one can do it as well as I can. Therefore, this is my best option, self at the center. If I'm at the center of my existence, I also don't have to worry about whether or not others are taken care of because they're obviously their own best option to take care of themselves. Why would I need to worry about them? I don't worry about myself and I don't worry about them. It's a great guilt-free system. But then there's God. What about him? Well, if I'm at the center of my existence, I have an answer for that as well. In my self-central system, I control God's presence and role in my life. He'll be there when I need him, but I determine when that is. I can count on him, hopefully, to deliver what I need or what I want when I need it, when I want it, which really it's his job, isn't it? Thank you. (laughs) You're right. No. (laughs) With me at the center, I make my own decisions. I am the primary source of authority in my life. I answer to no one. 
I am the captain of my destiny. I get the credit for all the good and the, the good that I do and someone else gets the blame for what goes wrong. Life is simpler this way. And of course, I know better than to believe any of what I just said. But while I know I'm being facetious, it doesn't take much pushing for me to admit that there is something in what I just said that tempts me to fall headlong into the self-trap again. Because I've been there. And I don't think I'm out of line in guessing that all of us have been there. And I say that not to insult you, but to acknowledge the fact that we were born self-centered. We actually have to be rescued from this. And thank God that he did rescue us. Because here's some of what happens if we live that way with us at the center of our existence. There are responsibilities that come with putting ourselves at the center. And those responsibilities are not to be taken lightly. The center is the place where our thoughts, decisions, feelings, actions, and things like that originate. It's the control center for our lives. Our direction comes from there, and so do conviction, wisdom, influence, and foundational authority. All those things flow out of the center, so by living life with self at the center, we assume all that responsibility ourselves. There are other things that come from the center, things that we maybe don't consider when we put ourselves there. Things like anxiety and stress and expectations and morality and on it goes. If we think about it, the center is a scary place for us to be. From that central place, we like to surround ourselves with others. They will serve our needs for things like community, affirmation, company, and so on. They're right in front of us all the time, and so they get this layer in our lives. And then there's God. Like I said earlier, he has his place as our benevolent grandpa or our go-to resource, our lifeguard, our protector, or whatever we assign to him. But the point is that he has his place and we have ours. And we were all born with an inner tendency to approach life this way, most often subconsciously. But let's consider an alternative, particularly the obvious choice for who occupies the center. We know that God should occupy the center. We know that. We know it because we're intelligent human beings, made in God's image, prompted by his spirit, and now living as his followers, his subjects, his children, his servants. We know that he should be at the center. Sadly, that's never quite convincing enough for us. Even Paul said that he knew what to do, but he struggled to do it. So let's add some why to what we know. There are reasons to put God at the center of our existence beyond just because it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing, and, and here's why, at least some of the why. So consider these things. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek God first. Now do me a favor and look directly at me. Look right up here. You should already be doing that. But look straight at me. 
Now I want you to find the target. Look straight at the target. And I'm not going to be at all offended that you're not looking at me anymore. You're not focused on me. I just moved. Keep looking at the target. I just moved from the center of your vision to a peripheral spot in your vision. Because your eyes are no longer seeking me. They're seeking the target. Seek God's kingdom, Jesus said. Make him the center of your sight. God is king, father, creator, judge, all-powerful, omnipresent, all-knowing, holy, and on we can go. Compared to God, we are, and I'll let you finish that statement in your head. Without God, we don't even exist. In our music today, in our songs, we've acknowledged who God is, and we do this here weekly. It's one of the ways we worship. We sing about who God is, and sometimes we sing to him about who he is. Would we do that with ourselves? What title would you give a worship song about yourself? How about me? How great is our Paul? Bless the Canadian, oh my soul. What a beautiful name mine is. Paul the herald angels sing. Oh Canada in the highest. And honestly, I could have wasted my entire week coming up with song titles with me in them, but I had to stop myself and go, no, you have other things to do. Consider God and his character. Consider his qualities. Consider his holiness. Consider his power. Consider his wisdom. Consider the many, many, many reasons why God belongs at the center of our existence and we don't. This couldn't be more obvious. And if you're still not convinced, which you really need to question your sanity if you're not, then consider Jesus Consider all that the world witnessed in him and through his life, death, and resurrection. The King of kings and Lord of lords deserves that spot at the center. So let's put him there. He is the only choice for the center. And life is truly only successful when God is planted firmly at the center of our existence. When he is, we're on target. When our central focus is him and everything else fits into our peripheral vision, we're on target. So let's move now towards the, towards the outside in this target, from the center out. With God at the center of our existence, it only makes sense that others would occupy the next ring in the target. And this, once again, is a truth that's not foreign to us as image bearers. We know how much God wants us to see others through his eyes. He sees the people he's created with great compassion and love and grace We, being made in his likeness, are wired to do the same. Of course, we're taught in the Bible to do this. Paul gave the church crystal clear direction on this. For example, to the church in Corinth, he wrote, Let no one seek his own good, 
but the good of his neighbor. Jesus explained that as a close second to loving God with everything we've got, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. That means we're to love them with the kind of love that we would hope to receive ourselves. That's the golden rule that's so familiar to us, and that rule also comes from Jesus. In many different ways, I have seen in studying the life of Jesus just how genuinely he backs up his words. <coughs> Jesus' life was all about others. He was, the, he was selfless to perfection. He modeled for us this prioritizing that we're, we're doing today. Jesus put God at the center, and God led Jesus into a lifetime of serving others. Through this model, we've been taught as well, the model of Jesus' life. Jesus' disciples struggled with this. We can see in their story how much they struggled with who belongs at the center. They had Jesus right there with them, and almost all of them genuinely believed that Jesus was God. Yet we've seen in the story of Jesus' life that some of the disciples still managed to make efforts to put themselves at the center of their existence. And so when we struggle with this, which we all do, we need to give ourselves grace, but then learn from their mistakes and not just repeat them. We need to just watch and listen to Jesus more. He told us what to do. We need to do it. And he showed us what to do. We need to do what he did One of the most powerful images I have of Jesus in my mind is how he looked at the people around him. They represented so much of what God sees in this world. When Jesus saw the crowds of people around him, he was filled with compassion towards them. He saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we're going to dig into that image deeply in the days ahead as a church. But as I said, Jesus did more than just talk. He was more than just a teacher. He lived what he believed just like I should. I should live what I believe. And here's my example. Paul summarized this aspect of Jesus' life in his letter to the church in Philippi. I'm gonna read Philippians 2 verses one to eight and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to just listen as I do. Paul wrote, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, Paul builds 
such a great common bond here among followers of Jesus. This is how he described it. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy. What a beautiful picture of the family of God. But the picture isn't complete without what Paul mentions next. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, do what Jesus did. God first and then others. Self last. How do we take charge of this target? Well, just follow Jesus' lead. Watch and learn how he kept his father at the center. Watch and learn how he kept others before himself. You know how much better life would be in general if we just watched, learned from, and then reflected Jesus? It would change everything for us. Paul said that to live is Christ. Christ put God first, others second, and himself last. So let's consider a few more reasons why we put others before ourselves. First and foremost, we do it because we are made in the likeness of God and are being transformed day after day into the image of Jesus. But why else? What other motivation do we have to do this? We've been told to do it. We've been given a perfect example of how to do it. We're equipped to do it because God's spirit lives in us. But what about this? We put others before us because they need us. Not in a dependent way that makes us out to be heroes and them to be needy losers. That's not what I'm talking about. They need us because they need God and God comes to them, among other ways, through us. We all need to be reminded of the eternal qualities of our Father. We need to be reminded of God's sufficiency in meeting our needs for significance and security and a host of other things. And so since we need all these things and God uses others to remind us of his sufficiency, let's get busy reminding others of God's sufficiency and character by putting them before ourselves. God works when we do this. Don't we want to see God work? This is another reason for us to do this. Um, I want to see God at work. But if I'm absorbed with myself as the center of my existence, I'm guaranteed to miss so much in my life when it comes to God working in our world right here, right now. And just in case I hold too tightly to the what's in it for me way of living, there's some inspiration even for me. Jesus gave me this in Matthew 23, 12. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. As we put others before ourselves in this target, we take on the character of Jesus And when we take on the character of Jesus, God exalts us in his way and in his time. He lifts us up. He gives us glory. God does. And that's something only he can do. But he does it. He promised. So he's going to do it. We are blessed through following Jesus 
lead, putting God at the center and others next before ourselves. And obviously this is how things are meant to be. God, others, and then self. But our nature as broken image bearers, and that's a descriptive term that I heard used this past week, and I'm gonna gonna use it plenty in the future. As broken image bearers, our nature as broken image bearers has us misled, misdirected, misguided. We still, in spite of our great intellect, put ourselves at the center. And our broken culture encourages our broken selves to keep it that way. So what do we do? How do we move what we know into the realm of what we do? This is why I like the target image. Well, how about using the target image to keep this truth in front of us? My hope for my own life is that whenever I see a target, I see God at the center and then others and then self. No other order. So maybe I need more targets in my life. Maybe I need to post some around my house or my office. Maybe I need to draw one with a dry erase marker on my mirror at home. Maybe I need to start praying this way. My first prayers are to and about God. Then I pray for others and then myself. This is something that goes so much farther than a theological belief for us. This is how I could live my life and so I have to keep it in front of me. Maybe it would help if I plan my week this way. God gets my time, energy, and everything else first. Others, second. Myself, last. Church, I just want to make this real. And I want us to make this real. We would love to see this become an intentional path that we choose. As individuals and as a church. To move from self at the center to God at the center. To put others before ourselves. God takes care of us instead of us taking the weight of our own care upon ourselves. I take care of others instead of expecting others to take care of me. I serve rather than rule like the servant Jesus. This is living on target. God at the center. Let's go there. Others before ourselves. Let's go there. Let's do whatever it takes to enter into the care of our eternal Father and reflect the image of his Son, God, others, and self. I'm going to invite the ushers and the worship team to come up now as we wrap up our time together this morning. Let's pray as they come. God, we bring this before you this morning. We bring the, <coughs> we bring the reality that far too often because of the fact that we are broken image bearers, not perfect image bearers, we have a tendency in our nature in which we were born to put ourselves at the center We have a tendency to get obsessed 
with having ourselves at the center. We even make the mistake of pushing you to the outside to be there whenever we need you to help us accomplish what we want, what we need. And so we lay that before you this morning. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would renew in us vision that sees this target the way you intended it to be. Vision that sees you at the center, then others, then ourselves. God, help us to put others before ourselves. God, help us to put you at the center. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on the center. Knowing that that's where you belong. You're the only one qualified to be there. So God, we offer ourselves and our lives to you. We offer our our vision to you. We offer our priorities to you. The decisions that we make, we give them to you. We put you where you deserve to be as king of kings. Father, we love you and thank you for being so patient with us. We have a long ways to go in this. But I ask that you would do that work in us by your spirit, that you would keep putting these targets in front of us, that we would always see it all around us. And that right away it would bring to mind that you belong at the center and then others and then ourselves. I'm excited about what you're going to do as this changes in our lives more and more. And I ask that you would do it in me, that you would grow this in me. That this would just be a part of our maturing process that we remove self from the center and put you there put others before ourselves, lay our lives down for your purposes and for your kingdom. And we ask, Lord, that in this way, your kingdom would come. Your will would be done in our lives. You are king of kings. And we offer this to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our perfect example of this. Amen.